Yes, welcome back to the City on the Edge podcast, a podcast of Albuquerque stories with your hosts, Nora. Hey. Hi, Nora. Mike Smith. Hello. And myself, Ty Bannerman. Um, thanks for joining us again. Today we have a, we're going to talk about um, a, a topic that kind of wraps up about a million other topics. In fact, you, you'll probably hear some stuff on this podcast that we're going to develop in greater detail later. And uh, what we're talking about today are secret Albuquerques, mm-hmm. the secrets of this city. So what do, you, uh, what do you think of when you think of like secret Albuquerque? Like what I'm thinking is like these are the parts of the city where we, in particular, the three of us, don't have access to for right. whatever reason. Right. But I feel like everybody has certain parts of this city that are off limits to them uh, one way or another, whether it's because of their like culture, cultural background, because of their uh, like class, the amount of money you have, mm-hmm. being in the military, that sort of thing. So um, so what we actually did, and this was Mike's idea. Mike, why don't you set us up for that? Was it? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, all right. So a few years ago, I read this article. It was in. Uh, it was one of those list type articles. It was in Albuquerque, the magazine, which we all love to make fun of because there's just a lot there to make fun of. And um, the uh, only magazine about Albuquerque that's somehow not about Albuquerque. Right. I open it up and I'm like, where is this place? So it's all dentists and chamber of commerces and hot singles and like yeah. restaurants and places that also happen to coincidentally buy ad space in that month's issue. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Right. It's very glossy, and it doesn't match up with the reality of it, I know. In a way, Albuquerque the magazine represents a secret Albuquerque that I don't <laughs> get to access. kind of true. It's like a rich Albuquerque. That yeah, is, just the mindset in a way, too. Like totally, it just, yeah. It, it's foreign to me, for sure. I think every like minority group, and uh, whether it's a class group or a racial group or whatever, has a secret Albuquerque here in mm-hmm. Albuquerque. I think every neighborhood is kind of a secret Albuquerque in some way. I think, uh, you know, and then there's things like, there's a community of uh, whitewater kayakers that kayak the fl- the flooded concrete arroyos. There's stuff yeah. like that mm-hmm. that's totally secret. You know, they know all about yeah Albuquerque there, from this you know, different viewpoint. The secret Albuquerque I think about a lot is like the really poor, crime-ridden Albuquerque. I've had a couple of conversations with people where they just blew my mind the stories that they were telling. I talked to this woman once, and she was telling me about like her friends being like buried upside down in the desert for cheating pimps and things like that. And you know, just like the horrible, yeah. dark stuff yeah. that like we just don't know. We go about our lives world. blithely, unaware of like what's going on. Right. And uh, you know, that's I think that stuff is all just as legitimately a part of the human experience and just as legitimately a part of the Albuquerque experience, just because it's off limits to right to oh, yeah, so totally. many of us. You know. Well, in a way, yeah. we have a kind of secret Albuquerque right here, right, right. now. You right. know, like nobody's here with us, so right. the three of us are having an experience that's Truth. inaccessible to the rest of you. Sorry, yeah. you're not Suckers. in the club. It's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, how about you, Nora? What do you? Uh, what are your thoughts on kind of secret Albuquerque in general? Um, I feel like as a not being born here and coming a little bit right more recently, um, how it changes just living in a place as to being a passer through mm-hmm. passerby um, yeah. is interesting. And that from the outside, Oh, balloon fiesta. But what do you learn about Albuquerque from that viewpoint? And right. 
right, what does that, what does Albuquerque mean to someone who's lived here for two years versus five mm-hmm. years versus 10 years mm-hmm. versus for life? Right, um, right. And how does that layer? And there are like all other. these great like secrets that you do learn about like the balloon fiesta as a local, you know. For one thing, you learn that there are loads of places that you can watch the mass ascensions from pretty close by without actually having to like go and hmm. stand in line in the parking lot and buy a ticket. Like there are these right. back roads you can go park on, and there's kind of like these mini balloon festivals going on. Like That's people are all lined up and down yeah. the road, and they're selling tamales and stuff. Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and then there's, I mean, obviously the people who are flying the balloons are having a very different kind right. of totally. <laughs> experience of it as well my favorite balloon fiesta ever was once when i was a teenager we camped up by the la luz trailhead and sat on boulders and watched the, gl- the glow oh, in the wow. morning from up yeah. there just totally silent away from right. all the noise and the mm-hmm. sponsorship and all that yeah kind of stuff. yeah mm-hmm. and it, was, it was just amazing right yeah and then i haven't enjoyed one since <laughs> I don't know. They're fine. Whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, we can talk yeah. about that later. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll do gonna, another episode. I think we're going to do a Balloon Fiesta episode, yeah, actually. Should, yeah. so we can Sponsored by. <laughs> Sponsored by Probably Wells Fargo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and suddenly our opinions about the Balloon Fiesta and Wells Fargo will have changed <laughs> radically. Oh, my opinion of Wells Fargo is going down dramatically because they are part of the people involved yeah. in the pipeline in North Dakota. Oh, really? So oh, really? take your money out of that bank and yeah. any other place that supports that uh total wow. running roughshod over environmental and human concerns. Right. So, anyway. Well, in particular, this, right. <laughs> uh, so specifically this article that you had read in uh, Albuquerque the Magazine, Mike, was a, like a top five oh, secret so things. Yeah. Or top five things you can't, you have was, to do. It was to like be, a uh, top 20 uh, things you must do to call yourself a true Albuquerquean or something <laughs> right, like okay. that. Right, okay. And uh, one of them was like, eat pizza at Dion's dipped in right. ranch. And I was like, oh, that's so great. <laughs> Which and, uh, I just want to point, we had a Dion's pizza before right. we started yeah. the podcast. Yeah, Dion's so is great. I'm not knocking Dion's. We are true dipping. Albuquerque. We, yeah. But at the least. number one thing on that list, and that I've just rolled my eyes at ever since, was see a Thunderbirds air show. <laughs> and I was like, really? What? To be a true Albuquerque resident, you have to like see a the Thunderbirds air, air oh, show? Crap. What the hell? I'm still not a true Albuquerque resident. I haven't been to the air I show. I saw one once, and it sure didn't feel integral to my identity here. It was <laughs> just like a thing that happened one July. Okay. <laughs> so we started thinking that we should do like what you need to do to be a true Albuquerquean, but then we thought that was kind of... There's just too many ways to be an Albuquerque, and I think. Yeah. So, so we started thinking about all the ways that people are living in this city and, and things that are happening that uh, that we can't access. The way, mm. you know, like we can never do some of these things that we're going to be talking yeah. about today. Right. So um, each of us has made a kind of a top five list of, uh, of secret Albuquerques that we would like to experience somehow. Awesome. And um, why don't we start with Nora? What, what okay. are your top five so i was thinking of albuquerque and like albuquerque the magazine okay food but i want to know what happens in the blake slotta burger factory like what the grinding sort of you know what does it look like while they're grinding up your your burgers yeah oh my gosh grinding of animal (laughs) flesh to be made into the burger that i yeah and i think it's on candelaria do you guys i i feel like i've passed it um they have a they have maybe a distribution center or something, but maybe I don't know if they actually do the grinding and stuff here, but they, oh. I don't know. I actually don't know, but that's... Well, that's one wish. Okay, that's a good one. Um, and then, you know, thinking of people experiencing Albuquerque in different ways and someone coming back regularly, like a state fair worker, oh, okay. say. Oh, okay. Yeah, And I wanted there to know go. what happens in the life of a state fair worker right. for a week in Albuquerque. Every week they come, yeah. you know, every year they come back, you know. Mm-hmm. Man, I got ripped off so hardcore by one of those state 
fair carnies last year. It's so stupid really? of me too. It's just like a total what like kind of a yeah. classic con. My son um, was with me and we went to the midway and he wanted to play a game. So we did the dart game because I figured that that one's fairly like easy to like right. do, you know. And so uh, he threw a few and then I was throwing and then like they were popping and the guy was just he was like, OK, here you go. Here's another set of darts, you know. And uh, so we threw them and then like he was like, just just two more and you win that turtle or whatever. And I'm like, so, OK, he really wanted the turtle. So we won the turtle. And then he was like, that'll be 20 bucks. What? <laughs> yeah. oh I was yeah, like, are you throwing. kidding me? Yeah. Like. Uh-huh. Cause he, wow. yeah, basically, I had played like four four <laughs> dart games <laughs> without him like saying, "Do you want to keep playing?" Like, because of course, that's apparently not. Wow. Yeah, wow. how that works. They like, just they just kind of like right. keep right. encouraging you to do it, and you know, like I kind of had a different vision of how the social mm-hmm. contract works mm-hmm. in that kind of situation. Yeah. And do they sit in frontier planning how to con customers during the week? You know, every night they're like, this the, con the frontier, yeah, yeah, right. This con. Well, I was happy to see see that that's not the most unusual thing. I, a guy spent like at, at some uh, fair. I don't think it was it wasn't in New Mexico, but one of the fairs uh, in the country. A guy spent like two thousand dollars to get a PlayStation, which is you know like worth about one hundred and fifty dollars. Wow. Basically, the same kind of scam, yeah. which you know yeah. they're just relying on you not pitching a fit in front of people or yeah. you know and I was like mm-hmm. oh my son's here and he really likes the turtle and alright I'll just give the guy the 25 bucks yeah. or whatever Yeah. in the fair's defense the guy that spent all that money uh, like should have gotten a clue after the first hundred bucks <laughs> right. hey, yeah, spending no, more no. than this cost it was totally the sunken cost fallacy yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I recommend um, oh yeah that's kind of like staying in Iraq type stuff mm-hmm. um, the uh, the uh, I recommend the book Leaving Tinkertown. Have any of you read oh, that? Oh, I have it. That is, no, that's yeah. great. That's about kind of growing up in a carny oh, really? family. Yeah. Found oh, cool. A, found a Tinkertown up there. Ross but family. I mean, they're famous for like their yeah. secret lives, right? The carnies. Yeah. 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 I think that's so, cool. Yeah. Okay. Good okay. one. Good one. Um, and then speaking of losing money, I am curious what happens if you win the jackpot at Sandia oh. in terms mm. of, or maybe going to the vault, follow. Oh, okay. Oh. Or maybe be the blackjack dealer. I'm really just wanting to inhabit different people's yeah. lives. Yeah, at Albert the casino. You yeah. should read uh, Billy McCall's zine last night yeah. at the casino. He works, I think, at yeah. Sandia Casino. I have a bunch of those. Oh, my I'll, gosh. I'll give them to you. So yeah. Mike has all the answers to my yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a cool local zine about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was George O'Keefe thinking about when she painted those flowers, really? Oh, okay. So that's what kind of a more, this? like, New Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think she was thinking about vaginas. <laughs> She's thinking about flowers. There flowers. <laughs> she was thinking about both. She can think about both. Uh, we may never know. Yeah. Um, and then my last one, which is related to my main find, is what was it like to be a woman on the frontier? Oh, okay. I like that. Yeah. See, again, this kind of sets, sets up mine a little bit in that in a way, that experience of being a woman on the frontier in, in New Mexico and Albuquerque is forever locked away from us. You know, we can read right. books about it, but we can't ever yeah. really experience right. that. So it's a, it's, a, it's a secret Albuquerque. It's, yeah. But it's locked away. Nobody yeah, can see it anymore. That's true. Right. Short answer, it was probably kind of crappy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just read Sally Denton's really cool book. Um, what's it called? Uh, Faith and Betrayal about her great-great-grandmother who uh, came west uh-huh. and like thought she converted to Mormonism and thought it was going to be this great thing and it turned out to be this polygamous theocracy that like she had oh, no rights and all her. Yeah. 
all the secrets of Albuquerque yet. Right, right. But you have your own secret Albuquerque, but you can't tell. Exactly. Right. Nora's yeah. Albuquerque. Unless you buy me a few shots, and see what happens. <laughs> then she will not shut up. <laughs> Just kidding. Let um, me tell you about the Illuminati. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the the idea of the woman on the frontier, and of course, what is more preserved is white woman on the frontier. Oh yeah, um, right. Which we have more access to because of different diaries. And right. so one diary in particular was Susan Shelby McGoffin, who was from the East Coast, married an old Santa Fe trader. He was 45, she was 18. Oh. They came out here in 1846. Okay. Um, so she kept this diary and just her secret Albuquerque. You know, it was kind of more secret Santa Fe trail. Okay, but, sure. Um, oh yeah, you told me about this. Yeah. The diary, yeah. The diary. I don't think I ever read it, but And she and it's you can get it now. I mean it's taught in different, mm-hmm. you know, frontier literature classes, frontier history. Okay. But um just that it's a diary, so it was yeah. purpose was secret. And I always loved the idea of like who is an audience for the yeah. journaler and like what is what does a diary what kind of text is that? Right. But, you know. And then when it's published yeah. How does that change it? And right. Um, so, but she, you know, she has like she comes through Albuquerque, and there's there. I I feel like she's talking about goat heads in this one okay. passage. Okay, love to hear it. Um, started out on a little walk this morning, but it was cut short by the little sand burrs sticking to my feet and dress till <laughs> I was entirely unable to walk. <laughs> they are quite as sharp and hurt as much as briars. I stopped and called for Jane to come to my assistance. After a long time, she succeeded in picking them out. My fingers are sore now with the little thorns. So what year is this? This is 1846. Well, now there's another thing, I mean, about like the passage of time in the West a little bit. Um, you know, we've all had that experience, kind of. You yeah. know, like the, the, the dealing with the natural world mm-hmm. doesn't change that much here, you know? Right, yeah. yeah so that's interesting. Why doesn't it change? Why don't we eliminate these things? We should get rid of it. I mean, <laughs> get yeah. rid of the nature. <laughs> no, not nature, but goat heads. <laughs> no, no, nature. <laughs> you know, goat heads do have Sick a really it. beautiful little yellow flower on them, though. I was looking they at the goat heads. They do. Those are nice. wicked, evil little flower. Yeah. Do you have any other uh, diary entries that were kind of interesting? Or? Yeah, um, and this is also part of my secret, was I thought I owned the book, because you... It's reissued, but I couldn't find it. So I had to go to this other cool kind of secret place in Albuquerque, oh. which people might know about. But it's the Center for Southwest Research. Oh, yes, I love that. In and it is kind of a secret Zimmerman place, Library. Though. The best. Um, like, it's kind of, it's off the, you, you don't you don't go there unless you have to go there, really. Right. You know, like you have to go hold down a whole different hall, basically. Yeah, it's and you have to give up and your sign ID in. and yeah. sign in. Like, you know, it's, they'll let anyone in, but, you know, they, they kind of want you to, at least you can't just walk in. You have to be you serious. Know. You have to sign in. You have to check your stuff in. You can't bring yeah. a bag in. You have right. to yeah. like you can't bring a pen in. You handle good stuff. Mm. Yeah. You have to request. Um, so I requested the book. You have to have all the details and give your name and basically everything except your social security number. And then they took like 15 minutes to go in the yep. bowels of UNM, Stacks. whatever, yeah, yeah, to find it. And then, and then you get you know, your time with There's it. There's another secret. Where the heck do they go? Like yeah. where where are the, are the stacks? What do they look like? I've never been in them. Hmm. I'm, I'm sure that that's not exactly like an uncommon experience. I've but been in the stacks of NMSU a bunch, and they're pretty cool. They're yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's and so she has a lot of interactions 
with different people of New Mexico. So a particularly woman, um, mm-hmm. Pueblo women and Mexican women. Um, and so, you know, she talks about we had more squaws to see us this morning. They okay. came trading with tortillas, cebolas, watermelons, and manzanas. Bottles are their great passion, and especially thick black ones. One old woman took a fancy to me, and so we got to trading. Mi Alma told her he did not want her to have it, in a joke only, but I made him give it. It pleased her so much she called me comadre all the time, and on separating we parted almost like old friends. Mm. She presented me with some tortillas. I warrant if I should see her ten years hence, she would recollect, recollect. Oh, yeah, recollect. Comadre and the black bottle. Hmm. So she has these little moments of interaction. Sometimes she's really judgmental and is like, why are they naked? Or like, why are they (laughs) playing in dirt? And then sometimes she has Hmm. these moments of friendship. But one other thing, and this is a little heavier secret, but is she has a miscarriage, which Mm. I also thought was interesting in terms of the secret you know, as a woman and as I get older, no more people getting pregnant and yeah. having miscarriages. Yeah. It happens. And people are still don't quite know how to talk about those, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and she barely mentions it in her diary. Right. But she uh, mentions it that, you know. Just the secret of her experience in yeah. a way of mm-hmm. being out here on the frontier and having these like momentary interactions with people. You know, we do think of history as events right wars yeah. t-wish war or right. whatever um but really it's made up of little interactions between people trading bottles and wow. you know talking about whatever and wow yeah, yeah. Definitely. i love it this yeah. is great <laughs> yeah you know, i own this book i just need to read this, this oh is you can read it it's really cool yeah. and then there are important historical you know moments mm-hmm. um and they one of her entries is about hearing from Taos. The news is that Taos people have risen and murdered every American citizen oh. in Taos, including the governor. Yeah, did that geez, happen? That did the Taos uh, revolt. Um, I don't know a huge amount of other than that it did happen, and they, they cut off the governor's head. They chopped yeah. his head off. He was beheaded. This yeah. is yeah. I mean, how many U.S. governors have been beheaded? You know what? I yeah. never heard this story. That's not like a huge gap in my knowledge. That's a major <laughs> thing. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, wow. I want to read about that. That uh, very early in the morning on January 19th, 1847, a mob of—this was published, her diary in 1926—a mob of drunken Indians went into the town and demanded the release of two Pueblo Indians held in prison for stealing. Mm -hmm. The sheriff refused their demands, and they murdered him, as well as the prefect of the town, a Mexican named Vigil, the latter having infuriated— infuriated them by calling them all thieves they chopped his body up into small bits wow wow well i'm not messing around no wow they were really (laughs) mad dang yeah so but i didn't know about that either until i encountered it in her diary i yeah i'd heard of it i mean isn't it cool we're all part of history i kind of love that like she didn't know that this was like part of some huge epic story right she yet. probably didn't know that yeah three people are going to be sitting around a kitchen table talking about right what she wrote down just all yeah. the context we'd have to give her to even begin to understand it so there's going to be this thing called podcasts right <laughs> oh my god right they're kind of like radio shows okay let's tell you about radio. i can't even explain them to my grandmother <laughs> she's alive <laughs> you know, in this century Awesome. Yeah. So, were there were there others uh, to talk about there, or good find? Yeah, I think it's a great stuff. one. You guys should all check it out. It's, okay. Yeah, 
There's and it's, um, it's one more time, the title. Down the Santa Fe Trail and into Mexico. Down the Santa Fe Trail and into Mexico. And the diary like of Susan Shelby McGoffin. Definitely worth checking out. Well, thank you. Yeah. Nice. Um, awesome. Uh, <laughs> anyway, great book. Really good book. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Now, uh, now Mike, we're going to... We're going to use yours as a lead into your uh, okay. to your piece. Um, so, uh, what are your uh, what are your top five secret Albuquerque's you would like to experience? In okay. The, in you the don't world? want to do yours first? No, let's let's do yours because okay. you kind of have to oh, leave it a little okay. bit, right? That's, true, like, right? that's what I was thinking. All right, here are mine, and I had a hard time narrowing it down to five because there's a lot of secret stuff in Albuquerque that I wanted I want to mention. You'll note on this list, I don't have fine <laughs> Spanish treasure. <laughs> or hike Embudo Arroyo from its source to the river, um, which I've done halfway, but not all the way. Um, or anything from UNM, since we're going to do a special episode live next month that everyone yes. needs to go to. It's at the September twenty third. September twenty third. I guess it's this month. Okay. Yeah, this great. month, yeah. two weeks. All right. Here's my list. One of mine is not in Albuquerque proper. It's right outside, underneath the ghost town of Hagen, just north of the Sandias. This wonderful nineteen twenties coal mining town. Yeah, out there that my between uh, San Felipe, yes. Pueblo, and uh, Highway 14. Exactly. It's um, just incredible. If on you the, take a left on the road right by the high school there, yeah. right? Look up uh, Road to Somewhere on alibi.com. I have an article about that road. Okay. Maybe, maybe we'll do an episode <clears> with that sometime. It's, it's, um, uh, I love that dirt road. It's lined with ghost towns. It's amazing. Uh, anyway, the ghost town of Hagen is the biggest and most noticeable one out there. Yeah. A huge, sprawling coal mining town, mostly from the 20s, also the early 1900s and, and later. Um, but there's seven miles of tunnels underneath it, mining really? tunnels, including an underground cafeteria and mining office. Yeah. And I have always wanted to go down there. But the thing is, is they had cave-ins even then. <laughs> yeah, like in know. the 20s, someone died, you yeah. know, working under there. A, a point of uh, personal safety for everyone yeah. listening to this. Don't go into mines. No, Jeez. it's just I just can't steal myself to do it. I know I've talked to people that are more casual about that stuff, and they do it, and they've gotten but away with it somehow. It's not just cave-ins. There's like pockets of gas yeah. and flooding oh, and all kinds right. of terrible things I mean, all through – Exactly. All through the 60s, there were underground mine fires that just belched smoke out. The Bureau okay. of Abandoned Mines had to like go in and, <laughs> you know, cover them up and right. everything. I mean, there were, there, I'm sure there were collapses. You know, I, I've seen a way to get down in there. There was a coyote hole that mm. uh, rain had widened, and I could see the beams of the mine. Yeah, through. I think I saw that with you one time. Yeah, I think you did. Yeah, that's it. right. Yeah. I remember that visit. Yeah. Because um, everything else is all filled in, at least yeah. in the actual town itself. But when I'm old, if I make it to old age, I'm going to go down there. And then I'll be okay. like, what do I have to lose? We'll like, I wrote the Mike, books I huh? want to write. My kids are adults. Let's he lived this. his dream of dying in a coal mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's better. There's worse ways to go. Uh, that's my number five. That's my only non-Albuquerque proper one. Okay. My number four is I want to see the Z machine in action. The Z machine. Yeah, you're going to have to tell us. Yeah, what that? is that? The Z machine is at Sandia. And... According to their website, the Sandia Z machine uses electricity to create radiation and high magnetic pressure, which are both applied to a variety of scientific purposes, ranging from weapons research to the pursuit of fusion, fusion energy. It's this room just full. Look up, look up Z machine on Google Images, and just the pictures are so that, stunning. Yeah, that photo. Actually, it's going to be on our uh, on our blog oh, on uh, cityontheedgepodcast.com. Yeah. You can go there and look at the show notes, and we'll have a picture of this thing. It's amazing. Um, it's really cool. I, I saw it 
I went. I took a tour of mm -hmm. Sandia once. It was like a family day. I had a connection, and I was able yeah. to, to go. This see is Sandia it. Labs. Sandia Labs, yeah. And I saw it, but when when they test it, they flood it with oil, and they direct all the or some sort of oily substance, and they direct all this electricity toward the center. It gets hotter than the center of a star. They can melt oh. diamonds with it. A lot of conspiracy <laughs> theorists think it's going to create a miniature black hole that will swallow oh the entire God. Earth and destroy it. That seems to be like the go-to for conspiracy theories about scientific instruments. Well, like, it's pretty scary. So well, yeah. it's definitely. Really scary yeah, yeah. if it were to happen. Yeah, but I don't, think I don't know how likely it is. I wrote an article right. about that once, or a column, when I, for the Daily Lobo forever ago, and Sandia wrote like an official renunciation of everything I had said. <laughs> this is stupid, so, you know. Because I believe the title of your article was "This will definitely make a black hole." <laughs> But what was funny is some guy wrote like a 300-page novel that, that like was uh, inspired by that column and sent it to me. It was I don't remember oh. if it was good or not. But was it dedicated to you? No, but he wanted me to read oh. it. But but I would love to see that thing in action. I mean, it's just it can melt a freaking diamond and it's yeah. beautiful. It's like all purples and blues and right. golds and stuff. Just I think that would be so oh, neat. Man. You got to check out this picture. Please yeah, go online look at it. It's neat. I, okay, I meant to call it up. My phone was slow. Um, my third one is a little more boring than that. It's but it's something I've always wanted to do. The Glorietta Beer Factory. Anyone that's sure. downtown yeah. has seen that beautiful red brick building with the old font on the side. Yep, yep. From I would love to walk around in that. But it's owned by the that, Maloofs. The Maloofs. The uh, what is it? One of the wealthier Cor families Coors in New Mexico. Brewing and yeah, Coors Brewing. Coors. Um, oh. the, yeah, they're a dis distributor. Of, they made their money by uh, distributing for Coors. Oh. Um, now they're there. reality film. They make reality TV shows. Oh, yeah. Like they did, I don't know. Work, and Hangover Cures that don't work, right? And Hangover Cures. Not that we should alienate <laughs> those rich people. But, yeah. I, I already have. I wrote a pretty yeah. nasty article <laughs> about their Hangover Cure. <laughs> kind of making fun of Phil Maloof. But Didn't you help research that, Nora? Yeah. Yes, yeah. by drinking a lot and taking the Hangover and, Cure. And not, <laughs> did it help your Hangover? Let's just be official. No. No. Okay. I'm going to be honest. Mm, did, it, yeah. did it cure your... Uh, was what he said it cured your lupus. lupus. It said it was a lupus cure. Yeah. That's what he told me. And cut, like he, he didn't want me to like talk about it. it was but like that's why I developed it. Was it's a lupus cure? Like what it cures lupus? I Not think funny. people need to know about this. But anyway, I'd love to explore that building. Yeah, yeah. If you, if we can ever make that happen. Yeah. So that was the Gloria Beer. Yeah. Uh, building, yeah, it's yeah. like what four stories tall, probably yeah. like kind of a tower sitting yeah. on the railroad tracks. I'm sure it would be underwhelming, but it's still like it's yeah. just the fact that it's closed. Just off. to be in yeah. it, you know, and see it. And people have been in it. I mean, it's not like nobody goes yeah. in there. All right, here's my second one. This was almost my number one, except if I put this at number one, it wouldn't tie into the article I'm going to read. Uh, okay. Um, I, if you guys have ever ridden the aerial tram up to Sandia Peak, you may oh, have yes. noticed employees occasionally <laughs> ride on top. Yes. Very, I want to do that crazy. so bad. Stunning, they, stunning to me as they, a child. Just like, what? Yeah. Do they still do that? Yes. They yeah, wear they harnesses do. and they clip into wow. the top, so it's kind of oh, safe, okay. right? I don't I mean, know. You know Safe-ish. And... and <laughs> I would love to do that. I like. Yeah. I've had dreams about that. I think that would be so. I don't cool. think I could do it. I, wow. No. Jesus, maybe I could. I Even if know. you have like a panic attack the whole time, that's an experience. The whole time you're like, I wish I hadn't done this. Oh God! Why are you doing this? So beautiful, it's scenic. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay, uh, and my number one is. I am super curious about the Four Hills. I want to see inside the Four Hills. I want to climb on top. Just some Four Hills? The Four Hills. No, the Four Hills in southeast Albuquerque, those oh. stony hills that are hollowed out that once had half of America's nuclear arsenal hidden inside them. Yes. And that now are still like a super secret yeah. place that you can't go. You can't walk really? around on them. Well, don't yeah. you think that they probably still have some there? Like Probably. They probably didn't move anything. They're like, yeah, yeah we moved it. 
1992, allegedly. But anyway, yeah. so I wrote an article about those. I would love uh, well to read that. At why don't we? Uh, why don't we look inside the four hills? All with right, Mike Smith. Hello. The Four Hills of the Apocalypse by Mike Smith. First, there's the city, the city of Albuquerque. At night, a jewel of harsh, multifaceted light. In the day, a dustier gem mounted inside a circle of shining golden desert. Looking east, there's the city, and then the suburbs, and then the mountains. Mountains, mountains, mountains. The Sandias, the Manzanitas, the Manzanos. Just as the Sandias did, the Manzanitas and the Manzanos rose up long ago back when humans weren't even a glint in some now extinct organism's eye, rose up as tilted blocks of granite, metamorphic rock and limestone, rose up and their rocks fell, and the rocks that fell during that rise and the block's gradual erosion resulted in foothills. Along the Sandias, there's U-Mound, a popular rock climbing spot, a foothill that once sported a large white painted U. Along the Manzanitas and the Manzanos, there are the four hills, a ridge of four connected desert hills visible from much of the east side of town, stony and austere, nubby and worn down like the bottom front teeth of the desert itself. Four hills, a large one, a smaller one, an even smaller one, and an even smaller one, unassuming in appearance and yet a microcosm of the history of the West. From around the year 700 AD to sometime in the 1300s, various Native American tribes lived near the four hills in small communities near Tejeres Creek into Harris Canyon, the canyon that separates the Sandias from the Manzanitas. Around 1325, at least, according to Harris Canyon, Analyses of the Past by Linda S. Cordell, most of these sites had been abandoned, their people having moved up to what are now Harris and San Antonio, perhaps, we might assume, to be closer to where Burger Boy would be 600 or so years later, or, more likely, for a better source of water. Longtime area residents will tell you that a little Spanish village once sat at the base of the Four Hills, La Cañada, it was called, the ravine, the gulch, likely a little farming community. And, in fact, it may have also been known as the Cañada de Juan Toboso, the founder of which may have been the elusive namesake of Albuquerque's Juan Tobo Boulevard. In New Mexico place names, T.M. Pierce relayed that an April 5, 1748 petition indicated that this site lay west of the Sandia Mountains, but the Manzanita and Manzano ranges may not have yet had their own Spanish names. It's confusing. Anyway. The settlement did not appear on Bernardo de Miera y Pacheco's 1779 map of the area, but the four hills, hand-drawn and nameless, did. Time passed like it does in the desert, in that way that it does in the desert, in the way that it does everywhere but different. People settled nearby and explored nearby, hunted nearby and mined nearby. Wind and rain and snow fell on the hills. The city of Albuquerque grew and got closer. This part of Spain became a part of Mexico. The Mexican-American War happened. Mexico became the United States. World War I happened. World War II began, and scientists gathered in New Mexico to create an unprecedented atom-splitting bomb. In 1941, Kirtland Air Force Base came into being as a major transportation hub for that project, the Manhattan Project, and the Four Hills became a part of it, swallowed up by the base's immense square mileage. The Four Hills were hollowed out, renamed the Manzano Weapons Storage Area, and filled with nuclear bombs. At one point, more than half of the United States nuclear arsenal was in there, an unlikely internationally significant twist in the story of these sleepy desert hills, at least until 1994, according to Top Secret Tourism by Harry Helms, when the weapons were moved to another facility within the base. 
I have not yet been able to verify the following story, but it was told to me some years ago by a friendly waiter at a local restaurant, and I think it's of interest. His dad, this waiter said, had been a hired driver and handyman for the Manhattan Project, sworn to secrecy. And one day, he had been told to drive a pickup truck nonstop from Los Alamos to Kirtland Air Force Base. Stop for nothing, he was told, and under no circumstances should you look beneath the canvas covering the truck bed. East of Albuquerque, he pulled up to the far eastern side of the Four Hills, and suddenly, in the back of the largest hill, two enormous steel doors opened, and a team of scientists and soldiers waved him into a cavernous hall, hurriedly unloaded his truck, and then waved him back out, closing the enormous doors behind him. Like I said, I don't know if the story is true. I hope it's true. I bet it's true. The Four Hills may be mostly empty now, but sadly, they remain off limits to the public, even for hiking. Perhaps because of this, they have been a fruitful source of story and rumor and folklore. Mysterious lights and UFOs have been reported flying over and around them. Maybe not that mysterious when you consider they're part of a literal Air Force base, but still. And bizarre rumors have persisted of a secret underground city beneath them in which the government experiments with human-alien hybrids and a secret underground bullet train zips people back and forth between there and Los Alamos. There's a chapter about this in More Mysteries and Miracles of New Mexico by Jack Cutts, who wrote about a man named Paul Benowitz who filmed hours and hours of the area's strangely moving lights. Four unusual lights pulsating on the open grassy plain inside the security fences. Glowing disc-shaped objects which appeared to be on or near the ground, alternately brightening and darkening, which suddenly all burst into brilliant balls of light, flashed upward and shot off to the south. Driving east out of Albuquerque, there are four stone hills, four small hills. You probably won't ever be able to visit them. Still, I bet you'll think about them. Okay, cool. Well, I didn't actually know that about the kind of UFO aspect oh, of the yeah. Four Hills. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, and, and it's also, there's, there's connections to uh, that, um, oh, are we we're on? We're on now. We're on, okay, hello. Um, there's, there's connections also to, like, the whole idea that, like, reptilians rule the world, secret uh, reptilians and stuff like that. Those theories often touch upon the Four Hills. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. A hollowed out hill. Right, yeah. right. I mean, that's an underground tunnels. That's another right. aspect of It's that. very similar to the stories of the Dulce base from uh, yeah. nor uh, northwestern New Mexico also. Right, right, you know, which is basically like that underground city where they do experiments on. Right, that, that doesn't exist. It doesn't, it, yeah, yeah, not a real thing, probably. <laughs> right. Pro probably. Uh, odds are good <clears throat> it's not real at all. Yeah. If you've ever been to Dulce, there's like, there's where, 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 where's even the door? <laughs> you know, it's just, there's not a lot out there. There's, there's, a, there's a porta potty behind a gas station. Yeah, there's just a gas station. Go yeah. down. Yeah. How aware do you think Albuquerque citizens were of what was happening there? Oh, were you talking about the, the hollowed out news yeah, and stuff? Yeah, yeah. There, there were news pieces on it once in a while. There and used protests to a, and things. Oh, yeah. Oh, there were. Yeah. There used to be a clip touring the inside on YouTube, and it's gone now. Oh. It, yeah. It How mysterious. Mysteriously removed. <laughs> yeah. But I've always wanted to go in there, and I, I've seen from hikes back in the Manzanos, I've seen doors on the side and, and like, yeah. the, the tower and things like that. The Manzanos have a lot of off-limits places, yeah. too. It sucks, too, because there's awesome stuff back there. There's the right. there's Coyote Springs. It's a whole ghost town back there. You can't get to it. Right. I should have put that on my list. Dang it. Um, they used to bottle <laughs> mineral water out there. Yeah, harsh mineral water really? yeah. was bottled out there. Yeah. yeah, you can still see those bottles on people's mantles once in a while. They're in trash piles. They say harsh mineral water. Uh, someone from Carnwell who grew up as a little kid recalled uh, a wagon carrying all the bottles from the mineral 
of mineral water out from Coyote Springs, and the pot, the corks would just pop off them from the the rocky ride oh. and like oh, explode wow. while they were while they were going off. But there was a school out there, and there's still all those buildings. And I love the ghost towns around here, and I've never been able to even get close. Yeah, because they would shoot yeah. you. Yeah, that's what <laughs> yeah. Just get shot. You know, we're, yeah. we have to keep a fair amount for a certain benign pe- trespassing yeah. on this show, but you don't want to get shot by the military. Yeah, don't so trespass over there. Don't they're, go onto the military man, bases. Mm. People that could disappear you if they wanted to. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Anyway, cool. that's the Four Hills. Um, okay. You know, I, I've always felt a little connection to it from growing up in in the mountains. You know, the east side of town was like our Albuquerque, and right. everything is named after the Four Hills in the southeast part of town. Yeah. There, you four know, Hills four movie theater. Yeah, exactly. The shopping plaza and the, uh, all, yeah, especially the movie theater. But you know, it's it's just also just the fact that they're off limits. It's there's something. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I might not ever go there if you could go there. <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. But, exactly. You know, like, but but just the fact that you can't, it's like super intriguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, cool. are you are you were you aware of these hills? Like you've seen them. <laughs> I had yeah. only heard of them in relation to Four Hills Movie Theater oh, okay. or mm-hmm. okay. people live in the Four Hills area. Mm. Yep, that's yeah. it. Uh, half half the nuclear stockpile of the United States at one time. That's insane. Isn't that insane? Yeah. Eric yeah. Schlosser really goes into it in his book um, uh, Command and Control. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Really talks about okay. that a lot. That's an interesting book for just for that. For Alabama. right. Right. Yeah. Nothing else. Cool. Yeah. Though I think I ticked him off when I reviewed his book in the alibi and titled <laughs> it We Were All Gonna Die in a Fiery Nuclear Accident. Oh, yeah. whatever. I thought that was cute. I yeah, thought it was good too. On. But he w- I think he wanted to appeal to like the nuclear people because they hosted him at the atomic. Right, region. right. So he wanted a more he like stayed like an analysis of an important historical event yeah. involving nuclear weapons. Yeah. Like a headline's not supposed to be eye catching. Yeah, well, especially on. the damn alibi. And if you can make knows. a joke, make a joke. Maybe he was just really busy. <laughs> <laughs> He's not, so like when he was here, he was all like, Yeah, let's go hang out and stuff. I want to see local music and everything like that. And then that article came out and he like suddenly coldly changed his plans. Oh. And he inscribed my book to Mike, Thank you for your interest. <laughs> and that was oh. it. So burn that bridge. Thus ended oh. ends a beautiful friendship. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. I upset somebody with apostrophes this week, but that's a different story. Yeah. So. yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Well, would you guys like to hear my five? Hell yeah. Secret yes. Albuquerque. Okay. So my first one is um, I'd like to tour the secret sanatorium. And unfortunately, this is so secret that I can't actually get too into detail about it. But as, uh, as you guys know, um, Albuquerque, uh, one of its first major industries and um, – population booms was was tied to uh, tuberculosis treatment and a number of uh, sanatoriums for treating uh, basically wealthy like upper middle class and upper class Easterners sprang up around here because there was a belief that Mm. uh, the high elevation plus the dry air Mm. would um, allow a person to recover from tuberculosis. It's called climatology, mm. uh, plus a bunch of sunshine and stuff. The idea at that time was that you got tuberculosis from, you know, the vapors from nearby swamps and, and that sort of thing. Uh, wasn't actually true yeah. for the most part, although I've heard that apparently sunlight can have a beneficial effect. It couldn't have hurt, right? Yeah, right. well, except that you have to cross country. To oh, yeah, there's that. <laughs> so there were sanatoriums all over the place here. Um, the Methodist Church near UNM started as a sanatorium. The uh, Presbyterian Hospital started as a sanatorium. Mm-hmm. Uh, Loveless, as in Loveless Hospital, was a patient who came mm. uh, to the to the West because of uh, his tuberculosis. He was also a doctor. 
Um, and so he, he started a medical practice here because of that. So these places were dotted all over the place in, um, in like the, uh, the 1900s to about the 1940s, I'd say was when they, uh, the age of the sanatorium really kicked into gear. And they were, um, they were, they were known for having, uh, like fenced in like little outbuildings with fenced in porches or mm. screened in porches so that people could sleep outside and spend as much of their time outside as possible right. even in the middle of winter wow. even in the middle of summer you and know you can see those porches everywhere yeah still. they're still around yeah. yeah um however uh there is the most complete sanatorium and it's like the classical style of like outbuildings with one central building wh which housed uh how's the heating plant the, mm -hmm. the doctors would stay there mm -hmm. um the food was prepared there and then patients who required more care yeah. would stay in there like they'd move from the in from the outside ring where all the uh mm -hmm. the build the outbuildings were when they were when they were uh, doing okay they could stay out there but when they got sicker they had to go in yeah. and uh, receive more um more attentive care and, and generally die most people with oh, tuberculosis man. died at really? that point yeah, so most of these places are long gone. Um, yeah. Like Mike says, there are a few little buildings left. Mostly these uh, little uh, um, outbuildings would get repurposed and turned into parts of houses and right. things back then. Many houses that were outfitted for tuberculosis patients are still around. I'd yeah. say half of oh, yeah. the, yeah. uh, the homes in some parts of Albuquerque right. have those big like vestibular areas out in front sure. that used to obviously be screened in porches. Right, right. right. Yeah. And um, actually the Albuquerque Press Club, which it didn't um, start out as a uh, ha having anything to do with uh, tuberculosis, but it had a huge porch, so it was used for people to kind of like stay there sometimes too. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, the most uh, intact one of these sanatoriums that you could still see is off limits to everyone because of the nature of the organization mm -hmm. that um, that runs it. And I don't want to say too much about it, other than that it's a uh, it's an organization that takes care of people who are in in uh, vulnerable positions. Right, right. And um, so that's why I can't uh, can't really talk too much about it, or for that matter, show up and take a nice tour. Right. It's, right. Uh, mm -hmm. It's off limits. Right, However, right. Um, maybe, maybe you could arrange for like a discreet personal tour, but you can never maybe. really write about it. Yeah, or, like, exactly. Take photos right. or I or looked into writing about it yeah. and I contacted some of the people involved, and they were just like, "Sorry, this is just it's too sensitive." Yeah. Um, if you point. keep your eyes and ears open, yeah. fellow Albuquerqueans, you could probably figure out where it is. You know, but don't bug them. They don't. They don't yeah. want right. to be bugged. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's always the Well Country Camp up in the mountains. That's, that's true. That's yeah. Pretty well. That's a good one. Well. I haven't actually been up there. Oh, it's wonderful. I was just reading their newspapers yesterday, which are collected at the special collections. Yeah. I know you've looked through those. Before. Yeah. yeah. Well, what was it called? The, the Herald well of the Well Country. Yeah. And it's great. It's collected in two volumes. All their newsletters from 1914 to 1919. Yeah. Awesome. And They're the so early cool. early ones are just like really crude and like oh, have funny little drawings. One and of cartoons. my Albuquerque goals is they had two locations. Their first was in. Uh, Bear Canyon on the uh, the west side of the Sandias, and it was just mostly like little tents and shacks, yeah, and a little Methodist sanatorium there. And right. then they moved to the Sandias on what's now Penny Lane. Um, right. They, they moved back into there, and I know that location really well, and it's still there. I mean, like it's uh, well preserved. Okay. That stuff's up there, man. And, I mean, people live up there now. All the cabins have been repurposed, so you can't just like go oh, hang out. Wonderful. But you could respectfully, you know, take a little up there walk maybe or something. On a slow day. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, cool. it's neat. Um, um, my second one, I guess, is a bit of a 
it's a bit of a tease because we're actually going to talk more about this at our secret UNM event and live podcast reporting on September 23rd at Go the Tanex. Um, but I would like to see the inside of the Estufa, which is a building on UNM campus. It is the first one uh, to have been given a um, Pueblo revival architectural form, mm. and it is totally off limits. And you. Really? Are not allowed in it. Mm. Actually, a few of the listeners might be, but I'll tell you why at the September 23rd event. I want to know. <laughs> I'll be there. Five dollars suggested donation. You will be there, right? No. Oh, no, she's gonna be gone. I'm actually, be out of town. Yeah. <laughs> um, number three. This one I'm gonna need a, a little assist from Mike on because I don't know a huge amount about this, but there was a, there are two plane crashes in the Sandias. Uh. One of them's a, a fairly famous one that you can hike up to and, and see the wreckage from. And there was another one on the southeastern side of the Sandias. Is that right? Oh, there's there were several in the Sandias. There, there's one one of my favorites to read about. And it's, I mean, it's sad to say favorites because like when plane crashes, people die. But, <laughs> but there's a lot of stories. And this mountain range is. It's like when forever. people tell you they have a favorite serial killer. I know. Like, eh. I know someone <laughs> with a Jeffrey Dahmer tattoo and no. a Leopold and Loeb tattoo. She's yeah. like a scholar of that stuff. You it's can't you can't come to my house. To but but you know what it's uh takes all kinds i guess still not babysitting my kids uh, <laughs> the the uh um there there was one in in the carnwell area where two people crashed in a plane and they found three bodies interesting what? yeah turns out hmm. they were transporting someone who had died to a funeral so it was like, oh okay yeah okay. It, it, i know but for a moment I was but so the excited. one i was thinking of in particular has a uh, has money attached to it oh yes okay so a small plane crashed up around San Antonio and Cedar Crest. Uh, they were just back from Las Vegas. They had been gambling. I believe this was the 60s or the 70s. I wrote an article about this, and, I, and the details are not fresh in my mm -hmm. mind. Um, and uh, because there had been money involved, uh, everybody just was tearing apart the mountains looking for this plane. And looking for to find a it. cache of cash, yeah. right? Now, I had talked to a guy, and I don't know if the story is true, but he claims he was poaching nearby when it happened, and so he never has come forward with the story because he was doing illegal hunting at, uh -huh. at, at the time. But he said he saw the plane hit, and he saw the propeller <laughs> wing into a tree oh. and get stuck in a tree, and that the propeller is still there. Oh. And he kind of implied that he, has the, he took the money. So when did this oh. take place? Uh, when, uh, when about it, I think it was the 60s or the 70s okay yeah so I I, I could look it up but there I, was a supposedly yeah. a big sack of money that they were yeah there's something to do some criminal enterprise or something it, no right? I think it was just gambling from Las oh, Vegas gambling. there were hundreds okay. of thousands of dollars from right from that I mean yeah hmm. so what, what did you want to do with this well, I want to find, find the money man oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, well, <laughs> that's what I want to do I want to find the money get a metal detector yeah yeah. Okay. There's a few local good treasure stories. Yeah, you can. Yeah. You can well, the, I think that that one for now stands in for like the various yeah. treasure stories. Yeah, There's one nice. at El Malpais. Oh, really? Supposedly. There's supposed to be all kinds of gold wow, secret away in El Malpais. Oh, that's great. Um, one time when I went fishing in the Jemez Mountains, uh -huh. um, my dad, who was from out of town, this guy was just panning for gold. Oh, yeah. And, wow. And I was like, wow, people still do that. Yeah. 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 So. yeah. Um, Crazy. Did he seem like he was he driving a nice car or anything? Yeah, I mean he seemed sort of like an average okay. citizen. Well, maybe just, it had worked out for him, yeah. or, or maybe it was just a new thing he was trying. Yeah. Okay, my next one, number uh, number four, is to visit the Atlas One. Um, let's see, 
Well, it's it's called the Atlas One. It's on Kirtland Air Force Base, which obviously is off limits to most of us. It is the world's largest structure composed entirely of wood and glue. What? Yeah, it's this enormous trellis sitting. You can actually see it from the airplane um, when you fly into Albuquerque. If you go over the southern portion of, uh, if you come in from the south, um, you can see this thing sitting out there. It is an enormous wooden platform. Um, they used to stick planes on it, and the reason that it has no nails on it or anything, that it's all held together with glue, is because it's um, used for the, um, it's used to, to test whether or not these planes can stand up to the kind of electromagnetic pulse that you'd get from a nuclear explosion. Wow. So they pulse these huge electromagnetic pulses that, you know, obviously screw up any, you know, instruments or whatever, and they test to see whether the shielding that they've applied to the airplanes um are effective i'd love to go and check that thing out oh, um as far as i know it's off limits uh due to it just being in um, in kirtland but um it's huge you can see it it's just the weirdest looking thing from the air uh, from the air you know, i've just, seen it from a plane cool. too yeah, yeah, yeah it's really wild it just looks so out of yeah. place and it's it's a yeah. huge wooden platform just sitting in the right. middle of nowhere right. uh used for them to stick planes on and blast them with electromagnetic. Wow. I remember seeing it before I'd ever heard anything about it and just thinking, what is that? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that was the Atlas One. That's cool. Um, and, of course, I mean, that's sort of a stand-in for all the weird, interesting stuff going on on yeah. Kirtland Base that we are not privy to. You know? I hope you'll write about that sometime so I can hear about that more in depth. Yeah, I'd like to I hear probably will at some cool. point. And then my final one, and it's a bit along the lines of what you were saying about being a, a woman on the frontier, is I would love to see the predecessor of the colonized city of Albuquerque, mm. which is to say the Tiwesh province, when it was a network of something like 10 or 11 different uh, different pueblos in oh, this in the Rio too. Grande Valley. Wow. Um, you know, apparently had great agriculture, you know, and yeah. that sort of thing. Um considered a force to be reckoned with it just be something else to yeah. see that you know before before the spaniards come yeah and so um, cool yeah that would be i think about seeing the past all the time right it's like it would just be like if i could have one yeah. invention it would be like a pair of glasses where you could just adjust the date oh. on the side and see see wherever you are oh that would be old time wouldn't that be that'd so be cool yeah cool. let's do, let's set up a kickstarter yeah for one of those yeah it's like all cardboard it's just a viewmaster actually <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. you're insane <laughs> all right well to that end i have a piece that i wrote about um nice about how these places uh the t west province are kind of still with us in a way i don't know all right awesome let's go into that dennis herrick a slight active man in his 60s stands on the ridge of a sand hill and gestures down over a low wall toward a strangely empty lot in one of Bernalillo's largest subdivisions. So there, probably where that cul-de-sac is, that was the plaza, he says, with the confidence of a man who has studied the archaeological record and pinpointed these features on his GPS. Or actually, because of the gravel quarry, the plaza was some 30 feet above the cul-de-sac, and over there by the white sign, that was one of the kivas. We're standing just outside the location of one of the middle Rio Grande Valley's most historically and archaeologically important sites. Or rather, we are standing just outside the former location of the site, greed and apathy having resulted in its irrevocable destruction some half a century ago. 
The site is that of a Tiwesh Pueblo called Gufor, which the Spanish pronounced Alcanfor and later named Santiago. In an ironic footnote, the subdivision that now occupies the land is also named Santiago. It was here at Gufor that Francisco Vasquez de Coronado, commander of the first ill-fated Spanish entrada into the lands that would become New Mexico, set up a long-term encampment in what was then known as the province of Tiwesh. He then used the Pueblo as his base as he pursued a months-long war against the native Tiwesh people of the area during the winters of 1540 to 1541. The Tiwesh War, as the conflict came to be known in the Spanish Chronicles, bears the ignoble distinction of being the very first named war between Europeans and Native Americans on the North American continent. It is also notable for having decimated what was once one of the most densely populated and fertile regions of the southwestern United States. A portion of the Pueblo was excavated in the mid-1930s, revealing a wealth of information about the Tiwesh people and their practices, as well as providing evidence of one of the Tiwesh War's first battles. Gordon Vivian, who led the excavation, called Gufor the focal point of the early Spanish history of the Tiwesh province. Among other finds, a skeleton was unearthed from the floor of one of the complex's many rooms. Buried in its chest was the point of a Spanish crossbow bolt. Only the Coronado expedition carried crossbows in inventory. And this, along with other evidence in the form of loose bolts and Spanish harquebus balls, proved that the Pueblo had come under fire from Coronado's men in the winter of 1540. There was still confusion about the site's identity, however. The Tiwesh Pueblos are notoriously difficult to correlate to the specific sites mentioned in the early Spanish chronicles due to sloppiness in Spanish records, shifts in the course of the Rio Grande, and other obstacles. In 1892, the famous archaeologist Adolf Bandelier muddied the waters further when he, proceeding off of purely anecdotal evidence, labeled the site as Puare. Even years after the actual site of Puare had been discovered and authenticated some two miles further south, southwestern archaeologists still referred to the Gufor site as Bandelier's Puare, respect for the man outweighing his mistaken labeling. Dennis Herrick, an ex-newspaper man from Iowa who teaches courses at UNM, volunteers with the Archaeological Conservancy as the caretaker of this site, or what's left of it anyway. The Pueblo itself was destroyed in the 1950s when the owner of the land allowed it to be quarried for gravel. They just sent the bulldozers out here, gouged out the entire Pueblo, Herrick recounts, his disgust at such a callous act audible in his voice. He shakes his head. Herrick is passionate about this site. In fact, he has written a book on the Pueblo, which was published in 2010, and his enthusiasm is infectious as he guides me around. There's little to see but a road ending in a cul-de-sac among a few vacant sites on the southern edge of the Santiago housing development. But as Herrick points out the locations of various features of the Pueblo, the blocks of rooms, the site of the kivas, the burial ground, I can almost make out the living gufor in my mind's eye. Adding to the surreal act of visualizing an ancient Pueblo transposed over a modern subdivision is the fact that the Pueblo site would have actually been somewhere above our heads, the quarrying operation having lowered the level of the ground by some 20 to 30 feet. The majority of the Pueblo had yet to be studied when the landowner undertook the fateful decision to destroy it, and a wealth of information from this unique site was lost forever. Fortunately, however, the owner did not fully succeed in annihilating the site's significance. In the early 1980s, archaeologist Bradley Vieira 
made a discovery in the surrounding area that, along with geographic clues, identified the Pueblo as none other than the same Gufor, Alcanfor, that Coronado made his long-term encampment. 400 meters west of the Pueblo site, Vieira's team found a series of dugouts and metal Spanish artifacts that indicated a well-used campsite. Likely, the campsite was used by Coronado's Mexican Indian slaves while the Spaniards themselves occupied the Pueblo. The identification of the site as Gufor presents an interesting commentary on the murky history of the Tiwesh War. According to Pedro de Castañeda, a foot soldier in Coronado's Entrada, who later made an account of the expedition, the Tiwesh willingly allowed the Spaniards to occupy Gufor upon their arrival to the region, and it was the Tiwesh who later launched the first attack in the war. However, the prevalence of crossbow bolts at Gufor, including the one found embedded in the skeleton's chest, tell a different story. Considering this evidence, it seems possible that Coronado's men took the Pueblo by force, thus placing the First Battle of the Tiwesh War at a site and time different than is generally known. Herrick personally believes that this is the case. Castaneda just says that the Puebloans left, but he doesn't say how. He does mention that they left with only the clothes on their back, however. To him, this rushed evacuation, combined with the remnant ammunition, is damning evidence that it was outright Spanish aggression that instigated the war. After we finish our tour of the subdivision and Gufor Pueblo, Herrick drives me past the campsite that Vieira discovered in the early 80s. Again, there is literally nothing to see above ground, but at least this site, unlike Gufor, remains untouched. He stops the car to allow me to take a few pictures of the site, two acres of typical New Mexican scrub beside the highway, and then we proceed down the winding streets of another subdivision. Stopping the car at an unassuming dead-end street, we disembark. He leads me out of the subdivision and onto a pristine sand hill overlooking the Rio Grande Bosque. I wanted you to see what it looked like before the subdivision. This was the original height of the Pueblo. He points to the north, and a few hundred yards away, I see the vacant lots where we were a few minutes ago, now some 30 feet below us. We are on wild land now, curiously isolated, although it is sandwiched between two subdivisions and only some 50 yards away from the highway. As we walk along the hill, he points out to me a channel where the Rio Grande once flowed before the installation of the Cochiti Dam, the level fields where the Puebloans at Gufor would have grown their crops, and the site of an old Spanish ranch that occupied the hill some decades after Gufor was abandoned. During a pause in the conversation, I ask him what had initially drawn him to this little-known site. He takes a moment to gather his thoughts and then answers, When I moved out here, I was made aware that this place existed. He pauses again and points down to the bosque. There's a trail along the river that I walk, and if you close your eyes just right, you can almost see the conquistadors and the Puebloans coming down it. He trails off, offering no further explanation. But I understand. For some of us, the pursuit of history is about communing with the past, respecting the lives of those who are gone, about going to a site as brutalized as Gufor and being able to see a ghostly Pueblo where a sprawling subdivision now stands, about finding a wild spot between two housing developments and seeing the land as it once was, about closing your eyes and seeing the past as close at hand as the river trail on which you walk. So, yeah, the idea of these... Awesome, man. That was a good This yeah. whole other reality just yeah. right, right around yeah. us in a way, just offset by time. Nice. Well, did you just write this recently? No, I wrote it apparently six years ago oh, wow. <laughs> because I, there's a, a part where I said it com the book 
came out in 2010, but okay. I had to hurriedly sort of self-edit and say yeah, yeah. comes out in or came out in 2010. Right. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, so I had actually, it was probably That's 2009. Where is that exactly? Yeah, where I It's is. the Santiago subdivision um, in Bernalillo okay. on the west side of the Rio Grande River. Okay. I cannot remember. I'll look that up. <sighs> Santiago subdivision. Yeah, I, I can't remember what street you have to take to get it's there. So it cool. might be Coors, but yeah. I was reading Castaneda's Castaneda's book a while ago. Oh yeah, and I, it's, it's wonderful. I got a great little edition of it that has it in Spanish and in English. But I mean, the, to read a 1540 description of the Sandias and the Rio Grande wow. Valley is so cool. It yeah, is so cool. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, that will never get old to me. I really like your phrase in there about the study of history being about communing with the past. Yeah, certainly. That's why I think I, we do it. We're yeah. not historians, exactly. Right, I mean, we're, yeah. we're historians, but not like in the academic sense. I feel like part of our friendship is that we're interested in the past, like philosophically. Mm -hmm. Like, what the hell is all this stuff that happened right. before us? And like, how is it totally inaccessible? And what does it mean that it preceded right. us? And yeah. Like, that it still kind of exists back then. Right. And we exist now. And it's, it's, it's all about time. This is like Stephen yeah, Hawking sort stuff. Of, except like, it's like still some of the same shit's going on. Like I couldn't help but think about the, the North Dakota pipeline situation yeah. where they're going through this, these yeah. grave sites. Uh. It's like uh. the same thing. Like these guys digging up yeah. the Pueblo for their gravel pit, you know, absolutely priceless. Exactly what I thought site. about when you were reading that. Yeah. 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 And, well, I mean, the fact is that I guess um, once uh, once you discover that you have something that's sort of priceless on your mm -hmm. land, then you're afraid that somebody's going to come and say you can't use I it anymore. So. so I think that they probably uh, did what they could to make sure that it would never be taken away from them, uh. you know, by destroying something that's absolutely a part of our shared oh, Albuquerque right. story. Let's find so. their descendants and wrap them up. Yeah, and I know technically it's not Albuquerque, <laughs> but I figure like uh, Albuquerque, Bernalillo, <laughs> yeah. Rancho, we can get away with all that. Oh man, I I um I want to check this area out. I had a, an experience that this reminded me of a little bit. Uh, Todd Brown from the Cerritos Turquoise Mining Museum, um, he took me on a tour of the Paco area, oh, and okay. he knew all the 1600s stuff yeah. about that area. He showed me an old Spanish coke oven that was literally like 10 feet from someone's house in the Paco subdivision right. up in the Sandias, and it's just amazing. That stuff is just there. Nobody yeah. cares about it, yeah. kind of, and so it just stays around on or something. No. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It feels more accessible to me here than in other places I've lived. Yeah. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Nora, I mean, have you found yourself encountering history here yeah i think so because um because i think that idea of progress supersedes like old sites yeah. sometimes and here the progress is definitely happening but it's slower and right. not as prolific as mm. in other places so i yeah. feel like like you're saying nobody really knows what it means but it exists because of that yeah. right. and also because there's no you no one trying to get that land to Right. Unless they want to build. Well, yeah. In this case, I mean, that is a site that was destroyed, but certainly there are sites that have been preserved from the Tuesh days, right. or like up in the mountains, you can encounter the ghost town of Hagen, and it's still, right. you know, it's only been weathered by nature itself. Right. It's not been knocked down well, to make way for a road yet. It was dismantled by a couple of brothers in the '40s and sold for parts. Oh, but, really? But like, I mean, that's why so many of the walls aren't intact. Oh, wow. I just figured that was. Yeah. Yeah, that was just time, but no. If you look at the little community of La Madera, a lot of those houses are made out of Hagen bricks. Oh, I see. But at the same time, yeah. if this was, let's say, the East Coast, like I'm right. thinking Philadelphia, where you walk, everything has a plaque. You know, oh, yeah. everything. Yeah. 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 Does it need more of that 
awareness of this is an important part of history and we need right. to preserve it. Yeah. yeah, probably, huh? Do you guys ever think about how weird it is that like most of the American flag just represents 13 states? Yeah, that's kind of funny, huh? <laughs> like, what drew about my the attention rest? to that? Yeah, the rest of the country. <laughs> uh, that's what the stars are for, Mike. I, oh, great! Thanks for the tiny little star. <laughs> Stripey states. Um, you know, I was gonna say something before you started on that. Oh, I was thinking about yeah, that was something about um, the Santiago subdivision. It didn't really even have a plaque or anything. You know, it was yeah. not in any way marked. It was just that this guy knew where that where it was. You yeah. know. How cool. And you can you can go search the archives of, um, I believe what I found was in a Palace magazine, Palace of the Governors magazine, uh, oh, produced neat. out of Santa Fe. Oh, cool. They had articles from the time of its uh, excavation that talk about it. So it's pretty interesting to see the kind of stuff they dug How up. How many Pueblos did, did, Coronado, did Castaneda describe on the Coronado expedition? Were there like 10 to 20? I can't remember. Exactly. I do not know the answer to we that. We should find them all. That would be so cool. Uh, what a fun trip wow. that would be. Maybe, right. you know, cool, yeah. like a th collect them all over a couple of years or something, you know? Um, and also where the best green chili cheeseburgers sure, are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amongst the Pueblos. Yeah, uh, yeah so um, apparently 12 to 20 Pueblos in the Tiwesh province. Okay. So oh, I'd, I'd love to find those. That's then, there, oh. but then that would be everything yeah. else, too. So. And then he mentioned the seven beyond uh, north of the Sandias, including Paco and... Uh, right. And, um, and uh, what was the one? Uh, Tonke. Tonke, yeah. Okay. Um, so cool, man. I loved I You just like yeah. schooled me. I didn't know any of that stuff. That is really great. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. I love talking to him. He was, I, just, I have this image of him standing there and he's just painting the picture with his hands as he's standing just oh, in the nice. middle of this he gets it. He sees subdivision. It. Yeah. And he's just like showing it like here and here. Yeah. And he looked like he was, you know, conducting a symphony or something. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I think about sometimes, you were talking about the past being locked away in the past, being secret yeah. by the fact that it's held in the past. I've thought about that too, about how like, in a way, you can't ever really ruin the past. It's done. <laughs> it's it done. happened. It's, done. it's sealed forever in whatever year it happened, and it's there forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, um, I think that's really interesting. Like, right. you know, are, I mean, are we going to be able to change it ever? Is quantum theory, like, <laughs> time moving forward and backward, is that going to be something? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you I, have a time machine, let us know. Yeah, yeah. Please give us a call. We won't tell anyone, but just let us use it. Uh, okay. That's great. Yeah. You know, there's... Um, I do like it here. I feel like the desert does preserve things in a wonderful yeah, way. Yeah, you know? I And I found, yeah. I lived at an apartment for a few years recently, and uh, I found a pottery shard in the gravel at my apartment complex. It was oh, okay. like a beautiful shard painted on both sides. Interesting. Which it, Where was it? Oh. Uh, the apartment was at uh, Wyoming in Constitution area. Okay. And, it, and the, the gravel probably came from elsewhere. It was probably from a quarry somewhere. And... You know, it's probably somewhere outside of town. Probably there's a quarry up by Placidus. Maybe it came from up there. Okay, um, yeah, could be. Yeah, but it was just amazing, and I was just yeah. like, "Look at this there ancient thing, that, right. Just yeah. right here." Okay, so special thank you to our Patreon donors. We've got Noah Patterson, Julie Bannerman, Christopher Suski, Courtney Fitzgerald, who is my wife. Full disclosure. Farrell M. Smith and Isaac Clark. Thank you guys so much. You are absolutely helping us out, and we really Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. Um, special thanks to the Citizens Media Group, who oh, gave us best. a bit of a grant and before. Wonderful. Um, and, yeah, and thanks to you, the listener.
And thanks to you, Nora, the podcaster. I'm so glad Nora's a part of this. Me too. Yeah, Nora's awesome. Stop. You guys make me feel so good about myself. Oh, yeah. enjoying, thank you. Enjoying your presence here. All right. Well, thank you guys. Check back in next time. Tell your friends. Come to the show. We want to meet you. All right. Uh, thanks sure, for podcasting. Keeps on flowing.